My title this morning is An Authentic Man of God. An Authentic Man of God. I spoke to you last week about Naomi and Ruth. And I told you how Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, left Bethlehem, Judah, to go to Moab during the time of famine. And during that time, the husband died, two sons died, and she was left with two daughter-in-laws. One decided to go back to Moab, and the other decided to go back with Naomi to Bethlehem, Judah. Naomi was angry, depressed, discouraged, and she actually renamed herself and gave herself the name Mara. Because she said, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. As her and Ruth were on their way back to Bethlehem, I believe Ruth had a Damascus Road experience like Paul the Apostle. And in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16 through 18, it says, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee, For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. At this point, Ruth became a woman of faith. On that road, at that point, when she had that conversation with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and said, I love you so much, and I'm committed to you so much, that when I die, I want to be buried next to you. Ruth's life was characterized by loyalty, courage, and commitment to her mentor. There's something to learn from Ruth this morning. There's something to learn as a woman of faith that we should also be loyal, not only to Jesus, but to one another. That we should have courage and commitment to our mentors and those that try to teach us God's word and God's laws. The godly journey began in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 22. Say, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. I want you to realize the reason that they left Bethlehem, Judah, was because of hunger, because of famine. They returned to hunger, just like when they left all those years ago. You know, I always tell you that God will bring you back to the mountain that you left. Did God bring them back to the mountain where they began? Did they not hear the message God was speaking then, back in Bethlehem? Were they supposed to leave? What is the lesson they are going to learn this time around. It's something to think about. I've been in the ministry a long time, and I've seen people leave at a point in their spiritual life and go out there to the world and go out into the wilderness and go out into Moab only to return to the place where they left, to the same mountain. You can't escape it. You cannot grow unless you come back to the place and face what you have to face. In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. 
You know, a lot of people read the book of Ruth, and immediately they want to make it into a romance and a love story. And it is partly that. It is partly that. But I want to talk to you about this man whose name was Boaz. He was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And in Hebrew, his name meant, in him is strength. He was mighty in the law. He knew the scripture. He was a sensitive man, as we'll find out. He was generous and full of integrity. His name also meant in Hebrew, fleetness, which means to be rapid and quick, to have an eagerness and an enthusiasm about him. He had a keenness and a a zeal. And I want to stop here for a moment. We as men and women of God need to have fleetness. We need to hear with rapidity the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We need to be quick to discern what God is saying. And we must have an eagerness and an enthusiasm and a spiritual keenness to hear and to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying so we can do the will of God. We must have zeal, but zeal plus the Word and zeal plus the Spirit of God will make us men and women of faith. The Bible says that Boaz was a mighty man, which means he was a strong man, a brave man, a valiant man. He was a champion. He had a reputation. And the Bible said that he was a kinsman. And what is a kinsman? It was a relative on uh, her husband's side, Elimelech. And it was a man, uh, when you look at his name as a kinsman, he was a man who perceived. He was a man of understanding. He was a man of know-how. He was skillful in knowledge. He was a wise man equipped by God for all seasons of life and what each season brings. We need this, men and women of God. We need men who are kinsmen. We need men that will stand by the women of the church. And we need women who will stand by one another. We need parents and adults to stand by the children as kinsmen redeemers. We need to be people of purpose and people of cause. We must have understanding and know-how and skillful knowledge. We can't be turned around by this world not knowing what we're doing or what direction we're going. We must be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. People are going to look to you for an answer. They're going to look to you for a hope. What are we going to do if we're all turned around and we have no keenness in God? Listen. This man, Boaz, is someone to really look up to. You know, you don't hear people preach about people like Joseph, who God said to marry Mary while she was pregnant with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't hear too many sermons about a great man like Joseph. He seems to slide behind the scenes. You don't hear too much about a man by the name of Boaz, We know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Elijah, and Elisha. But when it becomes to an authentic man of God, and they were, this man Boaz was impeccable. This man Boaz was a man of God, a man that I would want to imitate. In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 2, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field. And glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now I want to stop here for a moment. Because you know a lot of people read that and they just 
sort of glance over it. What does that mean? Look at the word said. The Bible says Ruth said to Naomi, her mother-in-law. What does the word said mean in Hebrew? It means to say in what's in your heart. It means to make a promise and to intend. It means to be decided. People break promises all the time. People don't tell the truth. They shade the truth. When people speak, when we speak as Christians, we must speak with honesty and love and perfection in Christ. We must say what we mean and mean what we say. We should not do one thing with our body and say another thing with our mouth. We should be people who when we say something, we mean it and we stick by it because it's godly. The Bible tries to teach me when I was studying this that when uh, Ruth said to Naomi, it was a very precious moment. It was almost like it was like she was asking permission of her mother-in-law. She came under the authority of her mother-in-law. People don't like authority. Listen to the story. Ruth asked permission of her mother-in-law to go and glean in the fields. Ruth didn't have to show respect and honor toward Naomi. Her husband was dead, and she wasn't really obligated to this woman, Naomi, any longer. Ruth loved Naomi like it was her own mother. She said, let me go by faith. Let me walk in the Spirit. Let me be led by God to a field where I can gather food in the presence of someone who will show me favor. Let me walk in providence and let God unfold my future destiny. Do you understand the beauty of this story even at this point? Ruth had a Damascus Road experience in Ruth chapter 1. Her whole demeanor has changed. Her whole outlook on life has changed by one experience with God. She's upbeat. She's got the promise. She's got the uncorruptible seed in her being now. She has been born again. And she's saying to her mother-in-law, give me permission to go and be led by God's spirit to find a field to glean in that I may bring you back food so that you can have sustenance to eat. Naomi referred to Ruth as my daughter. I want to stop here for a moment. There's a lesson to be learned here. And perhaps suffering does bring people closer. But many sons-in-laws and many daughter-in-laws remain outsiders because they are not accepted as sons and daughters by their spouse's parents. Did you hear what I just said? A lot of parents don't accept the son-in-law and the daughter-in-law as a son or a daughter. Or they themselves, the sons-in-laws or the daughter-in-laws, don't allow themselves to become sons and daughters in the family. Many don't become settlers and family members, but remain visitors. Hear what I'm saying this morning. When you come into a family, it's more than being an in-law. And we make fun and we call those people outlaws. Either you're in or you're not. Either you're a part or you're not. You can't be separate. You can't be exclusive. Either we're our family or we're not. Oh, I know the Bible says for a husband and wife to cleave together and to leave their parents. It doesn't say anything about forgetting them. 
It doesn't say anything about not honoring them. It doesn't say anything about not respecting them. It doesn't say that you can't come back to them and ask them for some godly advice and wisdom. People remain strangers in their own families. And that's why conflicts develop. Because we show partiality and not equality in the spirit of the living God. And the Bible said in verse 3, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. This is important. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now let me explain this to you, because this could be a, a, a mysterious verse. First of all, Ruth was industrious because she wanted to get up in the morning and go to work. Think about that for a moment. She wasn't looking for a handout. She wasn't saying, oh, come on, I just came back from Moab and my husband died and Naomi's uh, husband died and my sister's husband died and, and so on. And we need a handout. I, I'm going to go down to social services and, and I, I need some help here. No, God had his own welfare system in the Bible. I'm going to explain it to you in a moment. God had his own system. She was willing to work in the hot fields to provide for her mother-in-law and herself. Her main goal was to provide for her mother-in-law. Her main goal was to go to work and provide food for Naomi. That was her main goal. This was hard work for a woman in the hot fields from morning until sundown. She was adorned with humility because not one time did she say, I'm too good to glean, or I don't deserve this, or someone should give me a handout. As the Lord would have it, Ruth had the great fortune of coming upon the field belonging to Boaz. That's what that verse means when it says, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. What that means was her good fortune was that she stumbled, quote unquote, and came upon the field of Boaz, Elimelech's relative. Oh, she didn't stumble on that. It wasn't haphazard. It was destiny. It was providence. God was leading her by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I love about God. When we submit to God, He leads us by His power and by His Spirit. And that's what makes the Christian life exciting. Here's God's system for the poor. In the book of Leviticus 10, 19 and 9, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of the field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of the harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. And again in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verses 19 through 22, God reiterates concerning the poor. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine old olive trees, thou shalt not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow." When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. You know what God said to the farmers in those days? When you harvest your crop, he said, 
Don't cut the corners and the edges of your fields. Leave it for the poor. And when you go through your harvest and stuff falls on the ground, don't go back and pick it up. Leave it for the poor, the fatherless, and the widow. That was God's plan for the poor. It wasn't downtown. It wasn't uptown. It wasn't handouts. It was get up off your duff and go to work. And even if you were poor, amen, get up early in the morning and go find a field to glean in. Now listen, look at verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. What's going on here? Boaz was a rich, wealthy man who owned land. Some commentators said there was probably 240 people in the fields that day harvesting for Boaz. He was wealthy. He was rich. But he came to the place of work and checked with his foreman and checked with his people. And he greeted them by saying, the Lord be with you. Think about getting that greeting in the morning and waking up and someone saying to you, the Lord be with you. And they answered and said, and the Lord bless thee. He went to Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. It's the house of food. It's a place of restored exiles. That's what it means in Hebrew. It's a place of shelter. It's a place where God builds us up and establishes us. And in the process, he gives us a cause to want to continue our life in him. That's why we come to church. We come to Bethlehem. We come to the house of God and the house of bread. We come to the place because we are restored exiles. Hallelujah. We come to this place because it's shelter. We come to this place because God builds us up and establishes us. We come to this place because God gives us a cause and God gives us a a purpose to continue our lives in Jesus. The Lord be with you is God talk. It meant I wish you good health, strength, and the desires of your heart. Boaz was wealthy, an influential landowner, a farmer, but he loved God. And he wanted God's blessings on those around him, including those who worked in the fields. Extraordinary man with a tremendous relationship with God. He treated people with godly kindness and respect. Boaz knows what to do and knows how to act through the power of the Holy Spirit. What a lesson on just speaking. What a lesson on conducting yourself, whether you're a businessman, an employee, an employer, a supervisor, a line staff. What a mentor just to look at his actions. Then in verse 5 and 6, Boaz said unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. Ruth caught the eye of Boaz. Was it her beauty outwardly? Or was it her spiritual complexion 
and witness of the spirit that caused Boaz to make inquiry of Ruth. When the glory of God is upon us, we will shine and we will be recognized by others. You know how the world equates beauty? By how people look and what their shape is. But because Ruth had a Damascus Road experience, the glory of God was upon her. She stood out. She was different. Just like we're supposed to be different with the glory of God. People should be looking at you in the store and saying, you're different. What goes on with you? You must be a Christian. You must be a church person. Because they see the glory of God upon your face shining in Jesus. What's going on here? He's attracted to this woman. People would think, oh, because she, she looks good. She's a pretty girl. I think it went beyond that for Boaz because he wasn't a surface type individual. He wasn't a worldly man that would just look upon the beauty of a woman. He was a godly man that looked upon the spirit of the woman. You hearing what I'm saying this morning? And she said, in verse 7, I pray you, and she's talking to the reaper, to the foreman, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. The foreman is telling Boaz the conversation that Ruth had with the foreman. She comes to the field and she says, let me glean after the reapers. Now, most people would just glance over that and say, well, that's okay. No, it wasn't the order of business according to the Old Testament and according to tradition. You see, first there was the reaper. That was the person who cut down the sheaves. And they were usually followed by a person that would pick up and bundle the harvest. Then the gleaners would come. But listen to Ruth. She didn't want to be third. She wanted to be second. She wanted to follow the reaper as he was cutting down the good stuff. You see, she was ambitious and industrious. She wasn't looking for a handout. She was going to take a healthy risk. Follow me here. The reaper, the followed by the person picking and bundling the harvest, followed by the gleaner. Ruth had made a healthy risk request by wanting to follow the reaper. This was out of the box. Not the same old, same old. Not satisfied with the status quo, but reaching further and stretching her first faith and working very hard with little or no break. Ruth was an outsider, loving her way in to provide for her mother-in-law. I said Ruth was an outsider, loving her way in to provide for her mother-in-law. This was love in the spirit and not a demonstration of religion. Jesus came the same way. He was an outsider to religion, but pushed his way into the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Listen, my friend, love is taking a risk. Love is not playing it safe. Love, when one who loves runs the risk of suffering and being misunderstood, to love is a walk of faith. That's why people who love get hurt. 
because they take a risk. It's those that fear love and fear intimacy. It's those that tackle the world from a worldly perspective. They're afraid. They don't take a healthy risk. They stay with the status quo. Sit in the same chair, drink from the same cup, and watch the same television program for 20 years, and then they die. Never taking a spiritual risk. Afraid of their own shadow. Can't fight their way out of a paper bag, as we used to say in Brooklyn, New York. Can't fight their way out of a paper bag. Afraid. Oh, I might fail. It might not work out. It might not. It might not. But to love, to try, to get into the arena, to take a healthy risk, to get outside the box. Oh, I've been hurt. Who hasn't been? Welcome to the club. I've been left for dead. Who hasn't? Welcome to the club. I have a story. Who doesn't? Welcome to the club. What shall we all do? Curl up into a ball, into a fetal position, and just cop out from life and say, Hey, I can't do that. Listen, listen to the sermon. Apply it to yourself. Listen to the sermon. Do you take a healthy risk? Do you stretch yourself? Do you allow God to stretch your, the faith in you? Or are you looking for someone to help you and always care for you? Are you looking for someone to pamper you? And when someone comes your way and says, hey, why don't you go out and do something? Do you get mad? Listen to what the preacher is saying. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? He calls her my daughter. Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Boaz went beyond the request of Ruth. There's a typo there. Boaz went beyond the request of Ruth. Ruth wanted to glean after the reaper. But Boaz said, you know what? I'm going to go one better than that. I'm going to put you in a special field with special workers who will watch you and protect you. He took a personal interest in her and giving specific directions where to glean, who to stay near to, which water to drink, and a promise that she would be kept safe from physical and sexual assault, which did take place in the gleaning fields. Oh, how a woman should be treated by a man. What a mentor. I said, oh, how a woman should be treated by a man. Not as a body. Not as a sexual object. Not as just some impersonal being. I've been married for 36 years and I still open and close the door for my wife. I still hold the door for people at work as they're coming down a stairwell. You say, why do you do that? It's showing kindness and love to the world. Showing kindness and love to your wife. Protecting her. 
making sure you know where she is, making sure she's gleaning in the right field, staying near to her, protecting her, giving her drink, and a promise that she'll be kept safe from physical and sexual danger. Kind of the opposite of what's happening in society today. Listen, if I ever had to devise a retirement program, I might devise one to become an advocate for women. Really and truly. Of all that I've seen and heard in all the years that I've been a Christian, and all of the counseling that I've done through the years, my heart goes out to women who are abused and left for dead. My heart goes out to women whose husbands leave them and don't care for them. You know, people say, well, you know, it takes two to tangle, and yes, that's true. But you know what the Bible says? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say love your wife if she keeps her figure after three babies. It doesn't say, you know, love your wife only if she doesn't put on that weight. It says just husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church. It's really simple. Marriage counseling is simple. You know, I, in the past, I've had people come to me and say, yeah, I, I can't stand my wife. I said, that's good. That's good. They said, what do you mean it's good? See, now they think I'm agreeing with them so they can go out and get a divorce. I said, you know what's good about that, brother? I said, the Bible says husbands love your wives. I said, if you can't love her as your wife, the Bible says to love your enemies, then love her as your enemy. If you say you're a Christian. Well, I didn't come to hear that. Well, I come to tell you that. I come to tell you that. It's not just that easy to escape from God's laws. People don't want to hear that. You see, I'm talking about an, an authentic man of God. Listen, when Boaz said that to Ruth, the Bible said in verses 10 through 12, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not hereto. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Listen to this. Ruth showed her humility and gratitude for what Boaz said he would do for her. A man is as good as his word. I'm going to say that again. A man is as good as his word. Boaz was a spiritual man. And he knew who was in the fields and especially knew about Ruth and her background. He made it his business to know. He knew spiritually. Most men have no clue what's going on in their home. I said most men have no clue what's going on in their home. And when things go down, they're like amazed and say, what happened? I didn't even see this coming. I didn't even know this was going on. Well, wake up. He spoke into her spirit a blessing for her hard work and diligence that she had shown that day and for the love that she had for her mother-in-law. Look how he spoke to her. He spoke into her spirit. 
blessings and rewards, the things of God. How do we speak to one another is something that we really have to look at sometimes. What a powerful show of God's working in the lives of Boaz and Ruth. When divine providence and destiny meet, God is in the middle. And those involved should get ready for a great spiritual explosion and a fallout of blessings beyond imagination. Are you hearing what the preacher's saying? This isn't just a story. This isn't just a romance. This is something that God put together so that Jesus could come through the line of Judah. Do you know who Boaz's mother was? Rahab the harlot. Imagine that. That God would pick a prostitute from the world and save her soul and make her the mother of Boaz. Think about that for a minute. You see, Rahab was a restored exile just like me and you. God loves to restore exiles. <laughs> Look at verse 13. Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me. And for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, at mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat by the reapers and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. Boaz was now even going further in his kindness by instructing Ruth concerning mealtime and then instructing his workers to show favor to Ruth concerning the sheaves. Let me stop here for a moment. In those days, there was probably like a booth or a little shelter that people used to build in the fields. And if you have 240 people working in your fields, they're going to kill a calf. And they're going to have bread and they're going to have water and food to eat. Because you've been in the hot sun. And gleaners were not invited to the booths to eat with the reapers. But Boaz, again, showing kindness. Because in a way, he's a type of Jesus. He's a type of Christ that came into Ruth's life. And said, I'll take care of your needs today. Look at the tenderness. Look at how opposite it is in our country today on how men treat women. Think about it for a moment. I want it to sink in. Look at this tender man. You think he was a weakling or something? Oh, no, he wasn't. He was strong and courageous and a brave man, a warrior, a champion. He probably fought in battles in those days. But yet he had such a tender heart for a handmaiden. The Bible says that God wants to bless you and show kindness to you and build a booth for you even in the hot sun while we work in the fields. 
Because Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. This is the Christ in us that wants to do exceeding abundantly. Who wants to bless you and give you as we obey, as we do what we're supposed to do in Christ. He will pour out from heaven. He will open the windows of heaven, the Bible says, and pour you out a blessing that you will not have room to receive. You'll have to give some to other people. So she gleaned in the field in verse 17 until evening time. And listen to this. She not only gleaned, and she beat out that which she had gleaned, and it was about an effort of barley. And she took it up and went into the city And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleanest today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed is he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Do you know what Ruth did? She didn't eat all of her lunch, if you study out the verse, but she brought some to her mother-in-law so her mother-in-law could eat. She didn't eat the last piece of pie. She didn't take the last piece of chicken. She didn't eat the last bowl of beans or drink the last glass of water. But all the time she was eating, she said, my mother-in-law needs food. Ruth not only gleaned after the reaper, but she beat it to bring it down to the place where it could be ground. Throwing away the sheaves and leaving the seed and whatever they did in those days. She did it in the field. This is hard work for a woman. And when you find out what an effort is here in a moment, you're going to be amazed at what this woman did in one day. This is a long, hard day of work in the hot sun. Ruth brought home no less than seven and one-half gallons, approximately a bushel, which is about 35 pounds. The average reaper in those days only brought in one to two pounds from the field. You talk about a hard-working woman. Yeah, you talk about a woman that could put some pancake mix in a canvas sack. You talk about a woman that could beat dough and make it into bread and not get tired. We have men that are too tired to go to work. I said we have men that are too tired to go to work. Well, my husband... Is home. What is he doing? Oh, he's waiting for me to come home to cook. He's waiting for me to come home and do the walk. What is he doing? He's just sitting home. Sitting home. You know, I, I was raised by an earthly father. Who in all the days that I lived in my house in Brooklyn, New York, I only saw my dad, my dad take one sick day. I saw him in the bed one day in the bedroom. And I was shocked. My dad was really sick. It's the only day that I ever saw my dad take off from work. And he had a hard job being a longshoreman in the piers in New York City and in Brooklyn. 
I look at men today who work eight hours and they think they've done the world a favor. Hear me. We're supposed to work. Because God said the curse came upon us because of what Adam did in the garden. He said we would sweat at our brow. It's not going to be easy to go to work, what you got to put up with sometimes. But you know what? There's a little lady home. There's children home that we have to provide for. Hear what I'm saying? This is a woman of faith, but this is a woman of industry. This is a woman who really loved her mother-in-law. Think about that for a minute. It wasn't her mother-in-law. It was her mother. And the mother-in-law didn't say, this was my daughter-in-law. She said, this is my daughter. Mm. The average reaper only brought in one to two pounds. Approximately. How many times more did Ruth bring in that day than the average person? See, this is what the Lord wants to do for us. We haven't even tapped the surface of God's blessings. He wants to go beyond and exceed. He wants to be prolific in our lives because we're favored. He wants to give us a bountiful blessing. And in verse 20, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed he be of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabite said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until thou have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with maidens, that they may meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. What's going on here? First of all, The invitation to Ruth is to glean in the fields until the harvest is complete. Imagine what that lady brought in after that harvest. If she can do that in one day. (laughs) It's kind of like when you get that job that you really love. And people will greet you at work and they say, how are you doing? Here's your response. I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. Because it's what you really want to do. At this moment in her life, Ruth was living the dream. But something else happened. You see, I described Naomi to you. She described herself to us, a woman of bitterness, because she said, God had dealt bitterly with me. But when Ruth came home that day, and she came home with the harvest, and she came home with a beautiful lunch for her, And told her what happened in the fields that day. I believe something awakened in the spirit and in the heart of Naomi. Something inside of Naomi became spiritually active once again. She woke up spiritually and started shaking off the Mara personality of bitterness. All of a sudden, a spiritual explosion took place because of the kindness of God that day. God displayed this kindness through Boaz, which was a loving kindness, a mercy, a goodness, a favor, a faithfulness, a commitment, and a loyalty. This was the same kindness that Ruth showed Naomi, and now it comes full circle to Naomi. 
God's kindness is always there. It doesn't change whether we're in joy or sorrow or in the mountain or in the valley. Naomi had lost sight during her grievous trial. She thought the kindness of God left her. Listen to me for a moment, please. We get in controversy with God sometimes when we're going through dark moments. Let me ask you a question. Does God love you any less today than he did yesterday? Is God's kindness any less to you today than it was yesterday? We think that. We act that. But it's not true. That's what the devil wants to bring to you as a lie. (laughs) God's love for me is just as much as he loved me yesterday. God's kindness to me today, whether I'm going through hell or high water, doesn't make a difference. His kindness is still there. It's us who change. We get depressed. We get discouraged. We become controversial with God. We start to get the moly gross, and we start to get bitter. When God says, I haven't changed, daughter. (laughs) I mean, you've been depressed for 10 years, girl. (laughs) You, You think maybe... You need to look inside? You, you think maybe the incorruptible seed wants to reawaken in you, Naomi? Listen. Let me try to close here for a moment. And I want you to understand something because we all go through sufferings. And we all go through trial and tribulation. And I'm not a pastor that's going to stand up here today and try to figure it out of why I go through what I go through or what you go through. I don't have an explanation. I don't. But I know this. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34 and verse 6, and the Lord passed by before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, and he says it twice, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. He was speaking to Moses, and he said, Moses, let me describe my kindness. You see, this word kindness that Boaz showed to Ruth is the kindness that Ruth showed to Naomi, and it's the kindness that Jesus shows to me and you. It's a special word in the Bible. It comes from the word it's he said, H-E-S-E-D. In Hebrew. And I like it. Because he did say. Look what it says in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. As I was completing my study yesterday, and I've been studying this actually for a week or two, my wife was studying the Bible, and I was on the other chair studying, and all of a sudden, I had tears come to my eyes, and I started to cry some, and I said to my wife, I just got a revelation. It came like a spiritual explosion like a fallout from heaven. 
And she said, tell me. I said, look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 18 in the first four verses. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and behold, he, the Lord, wrought a work on the wheels. Look at verse 4. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Now let me stop here for a moment. Somewhere in between the word marred and so he made it again another vessel, we become better and more useful disciples in Jesus. Do you know, sometimes God allows our vias to drop on the ground. And he allows our life to seemingly shatter before us. Through disappointment, through discouragement, through setback, we wake up one day in our bed and we sit on the edge of the bed and we say, this is not the way I expected my life to turn out, God. This isn't the way I expected my children to turn out or my husband or my wife. Lord, this isn't the way I expected my job to turn out. God allows your life Because he's the potter. And he's the one that's got you on the wheel. But you know, there's something more that that vase needs. If you look at a real crystal vase, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. The end of it. But in the process, it's not perfect yet. Here's what I'm saying to you this morning. It's our pain and suffering. And how we get through it as Christians that attracts others to us. Not a neat little package of religion, but a life put back together by God over and over and over again. Listen, I want to stop here for a moment and teach you this as I close. There's a lot of Christian people walking around like a neat little package. Like it's always wrapped under the Christmas tree and you never take off the bow or the, or the packaging. It looks so good. He's got it all together. She's got it all together. Look at her. I'd like to be like her. Really? Or would you like to be the person whose gift gets wrapped and a bow put on it and gets ripped to shreds? And then it gets wrapped again with another bow and more packaging. And it gets ripped to shreds again. But comes back again and again to God and says, I know that your mercies endure forever. And even though you slay me, yet will I serve you. I know, God, that my pain and suffering and what I'm going through is real. And I know, God, I would like for it to go away. But I will come back and I will love you. And I will not question you. And I will not stand before heaven and earth and say, why, God, why? But, God, I will accept the cup. And I will drink the cup. And I will drink every drop. And by your grace and your mercy and your kindness, others will look at me and say, what makes you tick? And who are you? I want what you have 
I don't want to present myself as a neat little package of religion that can quote verses. Because really and truly, I'm a frail man. Really and truly, I'm a weak man. And without God, I can't do one thing for myself. And I never want to forget where I came from. I don't glory in that story or in that conversation as the Bible tells us not to. But if a person can look at you and say, you've been through a lot, mister. Hey, woman of faith, you've been through a lot, but you're still standing for Jesus. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You've been through setback. People have left you. Things in your family haven't turned out the way you expected. But yet you still serve him. And you still love him. And you still believe in God. That in the end, he will get the glory and the honor. You know, there's something to be said about a life that allows itself to go down to the potter's house and to be put on the potter's wheel. You know, the time when you think you've got it all, the time when you think you're a neat little package, the time when you think you got it all together and you got no stuff to get rid of, God goes, oops. Oops. Oh, it's marred. I got to bring it up on the wheel again. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. You know whose foot's on the potter's wheel? <laughs> I said, you know whose foot's on the potter's wheel, honey? It's Jesus. And he's the one. And he's saying, hold on, daughter. Hold on, son. Hold on, pastor. Hold on, pastor's wife. Hold on, church member, because I'm spinning you. And when I'm done, I'll have a church without spot or wrinkle. I'll have a church. Hallelujah. That's God. Looks like pure gold. Would you stand with me this morning?